Hello and welcome to Inching Closer, a podcast where we explore different angles of approach to sustainability. I'm one of your hosts, Anirudh. And I'm Anant. When we usually think of sustainability, we think of tangible things. electric vehicles net zero buildings and bamboo toothbrushes but in all of these climate conversations we rarely if ever bring up environmental law and policy and yet these are of paramount importance to the fight against climate change our guest today is bhavan ravindran a lawyer turned research analyst who currently works at the council on energy environment and water in new delhi Back in his lawyering days, Bhavan actively practiced civil litigation and handled cases relating to illegal mining, biodiversity protection, forest encroachment and the like. Now, he focuses on climate and cooling negotiations at CEEW. As you can imagine, there's quite a shift in the day-to-day when you go from litigation to policy. So, I was earlier a lawyer. a typical day for a lawyer who's been in litigation going to district courts and high courts and tribunals for 3 years has is very different vis-a-vis uh, in public policy a think tank a typical day would mean i think first starting off with scheduling meetings we are working with on some government uh, engagements right now so we first try and schedule our calendars with them so a part of it goes there a part of it goes in some public policy analysis on what policies are the state governments working on um a part of it goes in writing uh, whether it's a blog an op-ed a research paper or a policy document and uh, there i have to come back and also study because it's a new space so there's a lot that i have to study sometimes beyond my work and uh, yeah so you said that you used to do law before yeah. i'm very curious to know like what's been your education background like and why the shift from law to policy making So in 2010 March I went to Jim Corbett National Park and I had to see a tiger but that didn't happen and when I reached Delhi Noida I was shocked to see the contrast in terms of the sounds the greenery the very thrill of being in the forest none of that was there so I felt that I left a part of myself back in Corbett and in the pursuit of that lost self I started understanding the forest and why i didn't see a tiger so that led me the very next day after my return from corbett i took a surf excel box i slitted from the top i pasted the photograph of a dead tiger and went to every house in my sector that uh, see i just came back and this is a big problem why don't you do anything about it and pe- some were insensitive some were very sensitive uh, some were very supportive so after that one thing led to another and i started then in 2011 october 14th october we went to ranthambore and i saw my first tigress her name is sundari she is no more but uh, that was a transformative experience post 2011 to 2013 in so still in school i started organizing educational trips for students first batch we were 10 second batch we were 16 third batch we were 60 if people go into the lap of nature i felt they would save more so this stage of my life gave me a purpose mm. and that purpose was to create a world where biodiversity and man can live in harmony 
I thought law is the best way because I was always into public speaking because we did signature campaigns, we showed documentaries to 3,000 students, we participated in NGO campaigns and all of that. I did law, all I knew was I want to work in environmental law. So I applied to an environmental lawyer and I was sure that won't happen because I had no background in law. Somehow that person responded, called me for tea and three years I worked with him as an intern in the National Green Tribunal where I understood cases in uh, uh, on illegal encroachment of forests, mining, illegal mining, solid waste management and so on. And then I decided I'll give environmental law a try as a lawyer. When I started practicing, I realized I started off with a lot of environmental cases. But environmental law currently in India doesn't help you pay your bills. So gradually the focus started getting skewed towards commercial cases vis-a-vis just environmental cases. And when pandemic happened, it gave me a chance to reflect. Courts shut, shut down for a while, cases reduced, work reduced. So I thought, let me just go back to my starting point. Why did I start this journey? And am I getting closer or further away? And uh, I think it was the latter. So that's when I started. I didn't even know the concept of think tanks back then. I spoke to people and one thing led to another. I gave seven rounds of interviews and everything worked right. For me, it's a very big leap in uh, in every sense, professionally, personally. Um, and I think I am now closer than ever to uh, affecting the change mm. that I have always dreamed to effect. Given this big leap from arguing cases to being part of a think tank, we wanted to know where the law still finds a place in Bhavan's work. Law, yes, uh, because we need to study the current legal framework and suggest if what are the best ways to support that legal framework through policy. So definitely it is part of our framework. Recently we also were, I will be working on suggesting changes to the Energy Conservation Building Code, uh, which is again uh, a regulation. And uh, policy and regulation have a cyclical relationship. Hmm. Uh, They both are mutually reinforcing. One can't do without the other. So therefore, it's still definitely a part of what I do. How it's also part of what I do is, as a lawyer who's worked, argued cases before judges, uh, you have a good presentation experience. Hmm. You can present things, you can articulate things. Uh, in a very effective way as that's that's what law, law is all about when hmm. you're in litigation. So where, that is a very transferable skill that helps you in the current space of public policy when we are presenting our research findings to stakeholders, when we are engaging in dialogue with stakeholders. Hmm. And another aspect which is very transferable from law to policy is your convincing skills. Hmm. You must, it is important for us to convince people on on how necessary or serious is the climate crisis. Hmm. So to make people look beyond their daily challenges, uh, we need that convincing skill because people are overwhelmed with their job situation, their health, their relationship, their finances. But can we still, you know, encourage them to the extent that they decide to take up, give a part of their life, a portion, hours of their week, to reading about or contributing to reversing climate change or protecting hmm. the environment, that's a transferable skill. In addition to giving him a new lens through which to view sustainability and climate change, working in policy has also altered his understanding 
of what environmental protection really means. Earlier it was more vague. Okay. Now I feel that for example I have to reduce work towards reducing global warming to less than 1.5 degree celsius towards 2030 which requires a 7% annual reduction in global greenhouse gas emissions so okay. there is an element of specificity which has been added to that goal of environmental protection because now we are reading more hmm. reports okay. we are understanding the space the realities of climate diplomacy international negotiations scientific reports by ipcc for example so that vision is gaining greater clarity you know one b i am also understanding what are the skills required to nudge that agenda and you know what should be the data hmm. you know how should we present that data third i am also understanding where to present hmm. you know who are the correct stakeholders how do we prioritize them so that we gradually move the needle towards environmental protection this strategy of systemic change hmm. is what i am gaining through this a uh, switch in public policy this is really fascinating because it's a very large issue and you need to understand other people's point you need to work with other people which is not happening Before we get on to asking Bhavan more about environmental law and policy in India, let's find out how these laws come to be and where the interface of law and policy actually exists. Uh when the law develops around uh on a specific subject, yes, all people are consulted. The villages living on the banks of the river are consulted. The people are living there. Are they in reality or they are? They are. are. They <coughs> so even when, if you see the environmental impact assessment regulations of India, hmm. there is a stage called public consultation. Okay. So if there is any project, for example, that is coming up in a specific uh, part which is environmentally sensitive as per law, then the people there also have to be consulted whether they are okay with that development happening there or not. While the consultation is not that direct. there will be some inputs from civil society organizations to the drafters of that law that well we'll do the research for you hmm. we'll see meet all these communities and then we'll come and tell you what are the different stakeholders and what are their interests okay. so that consultation happens uh it's you know it's a threefold process of integrated analysis data collection and strategic outreach hmm. so to create you know uh, a law So is that where organizations like Bhumans come into the picture? For correct, that. correct. That's how public policy is shaped. Hmm. There are always these think tanks like Niti Aayog is a think tank, hmm. but it's a government think tank. Similarly, organizations like you know the Council on Energy Environment and Water like Terry, like AEEE, uh that collect data on different research verticals. and through their own statistical analysis and qualitative analysis through their own stakeholder consultation they try and arrive at a policy consensus which can maximize returns for like people planet and society from a law perspective compared to say other nations where does the environmental policies in india or laws in india stand are they uh what would you refer to as the benchmark are they good enough can they improve are they severely lacking 
so this was in 2018 when i was doing my dissertation in law school there i came upon a number that we our laws come in the top 20 in terms of in the world uh, environmental laws uh, in how they are framed <coughs> how exhaustive they are but when it comes to implementation our rank was over 150 hmm. so there is a gap it's on paper but not in practice so that can only be bridged when people do not think of law as an obligation to comply with hmm. but as a responsibility to discharge and that is a gradual transformation that we have to bring about through soft institutions of our society which include educational institutions i feel education is the long term solution where we transform the next generation to be responsible citizens problem is right now evs environmental studies for example does not is not contextual it is very hmm. homogeneous that we will all be taught about ecosystems in general but will a boy studying the ncert syllabus or the cbsc syllabus in rajasthan and delhi know that delhi has a aravalli biodiversity park and that its contribution to delhi is very different hmm. will there be trips to aravalli biodiversity park or plantation drives where it's not just a one time visit but the children are taught to nurture that plant till it you know grows to its adulthood like a person planted a seed at say a year ago or two years back and every three months he has to track its progress hmm. he or she yeah something like that that builds a bond a sustained relationship right now a it's not contextual we hmm. need to contextualize environmental education where a person appreciates his direct relationship with his environment hmm. not a theoretical generalized relationship with an ecosystem and its definition the atmosphere and its definition secondly it has to be continuous reinforcement hmm. um not theoretical again in practice even when you enter the workforce hmm. there needs to be a continuous reinforcement of your responsibility towards nature hmm. uh, the enforcement of environmental sensitivity needs to be completed right now there are gaps either in college if we take up a field which has nothing to do with environment directly then we will not be working on these evs topics so can we complete the arc that throughout whatever we do in life there is an element of environmental education that is ingrained that will eventually i think spill over to a societal transformation while there is no doubt that education and awareness will help bridge this gap we were curious to know why it exists in the first place what are we missing and where one is law as a profession i feel runs on interpretation okay if legal language is oversimplified hmm. then disputes i feel would by themselves reduce okay but because legal language is at times as complex as it is and the scope for interpretation is high so there is a way of prolonging you know legal battles so that is definitely a a reason you could say that um, uh, there are more conflicts than are perhaps required there's more cases than there are that are required from the enforcement authority perspective across india one systemic problem is the lack of coherence in the departments okay. departments within the governments don't work together hmm. um so for example if from the building sector we talk about say energy energy efficiency uh the state authority that has to enforce energy efficiency laws itself does not have the manpower to a understand the entire framework then track where all 
you know the implementation is happening collect the data for the implementation of that framework and then see if force its compliance hmm. so capacity is definitely one of the other issues for compliance hmm. i'm guessing in the policy space you're also interacting with other stakeholders other people in general public what are the differences between say the urban versus the rural residents and what are their reaction or understanding of environment consciousness i'll give you a very simple example yeah when we read reports about dams being built in mountains yeah we look at terms like seismic vulnerability that mm-hmm. for example dams will be built so mountains become more fragile rocks can fall landslides can happen mm-hmm. because we are drilling mm-hmm. you know at high altitudes but that is a very theoretical linkage to the problem you know we articulated so intelligently the problem also technically sometimes that we lose touch with the very basic uh implications or effects of that problem uh we don't feel for it hmm. as if it was it was happening to us but the same question i asked somebody i had gone to manali in june so i asked him that how do you feel what is your opinion about these dams he said it's like i have been trying to urinate for years <laughs> but my uh, but i'm just not able to that's how frustrated and unhealthy we feel because that's how nature feels i could never have put it so simply <laughs> seismic vulnerability hydroelectricity these terms sometimes um do not capture the scale of the problem and the its impact similarly when i go to a tiger reserve yeah. for us we understand food chain and the role of a tiger that it's at yeah. the top of a food chain but when you go uh, you know to a guide talk to a forest guide you say it's because of the tiger that you know everybody goes back and tips us on diwali hmm. you know if we don't have the tiger we will not be able to earn our money there will be no guards there will be no forest guard there will be no forest guide there will be no drivers there will be no hotels thousands of crores of an economy around this forest will shatter if there is no tiger Hmm. but for us sitting in the city it's important to save it because say it's an animal or it's pretty hmm. you know or it's a subject of so many documentaries and i would like to connect this to a report hmm. please forgive me i'm habitual to go back to <laughs> stats and data yeah. the intergovernmental panel on biodiversity and ecosystem services ipbes hmm. published in 2022 that societies are living in different attitudes towards nature and they said uh, there are four attitudes living from Uh-huh. nature living in nature hmm. living for nature and living as nature oh, from nature yeah. yeah is where we live to the we are basically only drawing out resources that we need that you could say is mostly the industrial revolution phase hmm. living in nature is that we understand that it's beautiful Hmm. it has benefits for our health so we must preserve it so hmm. somewhere we are coming closer to protect nature because it's a symbiotic relationship but what we need to graduate to is living as nature like that person in manali hmm. who could feel that they are like their bodies you know flow urinary hmm. flow has been impacted because you've stopped the flow of rivers hmm. what a direct relationship they are living as nature hmm. in your experience of say fighting in the court hmm. has there been any times where you felt like this was very different than what i was taught in school 
आई मीन तारीख पे तारीख इज अ वेरी जेनुअन रियालिटी ऑफ कोर्ट्स नो यू जस्ट गेट डेट्स बिकॉज द लॉयर इज इन प्रिपेयर फॉर एग्जाम्पल सो लॉयर्स हु आर टेकिंग एनवायरमेंटल केसेज नीड टू प्रिपेयर वेरी वेरी वेल अदरवाइज द लीगल आर्ग्यूमेंट्स क्रेडिबिलिटी कैन सफर बिकॉज ऑफ लैक ऑफ प्रिपेयरनेस that has happened many times in mining related cases for example when i have seen people who did not have the correct data to prove that illegal mining was happening in an area which is beyond the protected zone mm. that you know judgment uh, wasn't passed in time to protect that area it's not always that they didn't want to prepare but it's just that there is no time there are so many cases that they have so they have to prioritize their cases especially if the environmental cases do not pay and commercial cases do and lawyer has both the environmental cases will definitely be lower in the rung of priority yeah. the second thing i felt i realized and i was shocked about and this might sound a little naive is that sustainability is a career okay in the sense i did not know it's a career i thought it's a mission that everybody takes it up and will give their all selflessly uh-huh. for the cause till the time the world is saved uh-huh. but then you understand that everybody also has to grow in their career so it's also a job end of the day you know there are politics to it yes so that for me i never expected i thought everybody you know bhai bhai karke everybody will work <laughs> in solidarity yeah, towards yeah. protecting the environment but um, everybody hasn't looked at it that way I also used to think he the world can operate like there has to be some common consciousness but yeah I soon realized you can't really survive just on that yeah. it's a bonus yeah it's yeah. a bonus yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> core areas of work is the implementation of the Montreal protocol as well as research towards the conference of parties under the paris agreement now it's no secret that these agreements and protocols affect developing and developed countries differently for example india voiced an intervention at the cop26 in glasgow to get the term phase out of coal changed to phase down arguing that developing countries have a right to the responsible use of fossil fuels so how exactly should we be reconciling growth and eco-friendliness yeah so this is in international environmental law this is called the principle of common but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities hmm. which means that all of us have a common responsibility towards the climate and the environment hmm. but that responsibility is differentiated based on how much we have consumed developed nations have achieved greater growth by emitting more carbon hmm. developing nations have to now grow and they will emit carbon but now climate change has happened so is it because of the developing countries or the developed countries hmm. of course because of the f- latter so should the developing countries compromise their development trajectory on account of the growth that has been historically achieved by the developed nations the answer is no but how we see this problem depends on the definition of development currently it is a very econocentric definition Okay. it is about gross domestic production when we look at things about from the lens of gdp and then we want to become an economy which is a 5 trillion gdp economy what is a if we analyze prosperity and growth from a gdp lens it just means that we have to produce more hmm. to grow Hmm. but the fact is that we are producing more than what we actually need because the definition of growth is such that if you install a uh air purifying tower in delhi 
it will add to your gdp vis-a-vis planting the number of trees that will absorb the same amount of carbon Hmm. but if we don't if we shift our lens of development from a gdp centric to a prosperity or a well-being centric to a eco-centric where we live as nature then we will start valuing what what are called ecosystem services how do we feel when we are around nature what is the value hmm. yeah um how much uh, oxygen uh, you know the are being is being contributed by the forest and being abs- how much carbon from the atmosphere is being absorbed by the oceans the rivers the ponds once we start make accounting for all these services which is very difficult to do in exact precision hmm. but even if we make an attempt i am 100% sure what nature gives us will be valued at much more than the entire global gdp combined hmm. yeah this shift in lens and once we look at development from that harmonious angle there will be no conflict between what the developed countries did what develop we are actually following their blueprint of development hmm. because it is aspirational so once we start looking at things from a different lens we have to redefine aspiration it just doesn't need to be about a, about a double doored fridge hmm. it also needs to be about good health it needs to be you know about healthy lungs uh in delhi we are smoking three cigarettes you know or more now mm-hmm. in a day mm-hmm. but that isn't the case from a person in say you know corbett national park so are there any existing examples of this is this shift already happening somewhere examples include bhutan new zealand these are countries that have adopted uh the wellbeing index mm-hmm. so they are measuring growth on the indices of how happy we feel and all of that and how about india because as you said we are extremely focused on this idea of economic development this overarching goal of vikas but gdp driven actually it's difficult to say yes in one sense no in the other okay in what sense do i say yes is that currently there's a lot of focus on renewables as a nation hmm. we are trying to switch from coal to say wind energy solar energy water you know hydrogen for example so we are moving away from polluting sources of energy uh, that shift is happening but when we are talking about solar we it has its own consequences on nature there's a lot of land that will be used hmm. you know which will have its own conflict with biodiversity when we talk about wind uh, there will be you know there is again a conflict with avian species that occurs some people are looking at establishing wind farms in coastal areas which are eco sensitive zones mm. for example so while we are definitely yes moving towards uh, sustainability uh, and uh, moving away from pollution but it is still not a holistic approach because it is still very anthropocentric or human centric we are looking at how we ah. can be more sustainable yeah, yeah. but not whether when we are becoming more sustainable is there still enough for other species to survive so the great indian bustard is an endangered species and that it stays in an area which has a high solar power potential yeah so there is a conflict over there environmental law per se in india has a future but in practice you felt that it's not economically very viable do you see that changing anytime soon and are more lawyers shifting their attention to environmental law definitely i think now the problem is reached that scale that there'll be more people to back the and defend somebody mm-hmm. who is 
legally spearheading that problem hmm. uh you know that includes funding from international organizations and local organizations as well uh so i definitely see that change but uh if i were to right now leave public policy and go back to law mm. i still do not know where to apply at a place which will only make me work in environmental law and still pay me as much or better so mm. that shift hasn't happened right now but um, i don't see why it should not happen this isn't the case however for think tanks public policy think tanks are able to garner that much funding because of uh Uh, they are not directly involved you know at a very confrontational uh, level hmm. law is a very confrontational uh, uh, profession in one way so i don't know if there is a sense of hesitation hmm. from these funding agencies or these big players to back a side because it can go either way in hmm. litigation hmm. What has been like the biggest fuck up that you have realized over the years? Was there a moment where you felt that shit? Esa nahi hota. Esa to kabi maine socha hi nahi tha. I was arguing one case on mining. Hmm. So uh, I was I went that day in court and I very vociferously said that you know there is so and so happening, but. and then there was a committee that was constituted an official government committee that was constituted to immediately go the entire court was disbanded and it was said that all cases will none of the cases will be taken up we want to first investigate this illegal mining go and capture those photographs so because it had all the correct people in it i thought that once the right people will reach the right place mm-hmm. the truth will come out but news had already traveled to the area where the wrong was happening and all the patching up of those sites you know oh. in that relevant time had already happened uh. and uh, i thought that the ministries or the departments that are protecting that that ecosystem will be the first ones to come to court and say that this is the wrong that is happening and we will protect but that's not how it works in court i realized the i was against the ministry of environment to protect the environment which was the <laughs> biggest i think conflict that i saw that you know, for me it was so obvious hmm. that oh it's the ministry of environment they are the protectors of the environment but then there are a lot of violations that may happen i'm not saying it is necessarily ascribed to the environment department but it happens under their watch so which they have to come to court and defend for different reasons so that was one thing that i was a little disappointed about that uh, col- col- pollution control authorities and environment authorities are not necessarily do not feel the same way based on your experience What advice would you give to a young lawyer or a law student today regarding the field of environmental law in India? So one thing I would say that when you do law don't think that your profession is only in the court your future is only in the court definitely there is a future in public policy and your learnings are very transferable into public policy take more internship opportunities hmm. beyond just a court or a setup or a corporate setup Let's look at think tanks working with parliamentarians. Apply for fellowships hmm. that are at the interface of law and policy. Work with NGOs hmm. who are working at the ground level. Also, if you believe in a cause, 
devote some time of the five years of law to go and work for that cause hmm. and understand the legal framework around it. Hmm. Whether it is biodiversity protection, where you're passionate about animals, go to the forest, understand, you will realize what are the implementation issues, what are the laws that bind it. So you'll go from local to national. Hmm. You know, you'll understand the entire chain of regulation, state, national rules that ultimately impact that animal. Hmm. Similarly, if it's, you know, just uh, rainwater harvesting, so just go and see how that's happening. Don't just read the law. Don't just take up cases. But go and work and understand the science behind it. Because law is very interdisciplinary. Hmm. It is not just limited to the act. And yes, please read things beyond law. Do you ever say switch off the sustainability plug? Since you, it's your work, it has become your life? Yeah. Yes, I am totally guilty of that. Yes. And I have switched off the sustainability plug a number of times. And I'm sure if my carbon footprint is calculated, it will be beyond what just my needs require. Mm. It will, a uh, large part of it will be my own aspirations. But yes, daily changes I'm trying to make. Sustainability plug goes off sometimes. There is no doubt about it. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm human, so it yeah. happens. If we all have a philosophical basis in our life that makes us believe in our own potential, then we are able to come out of this action paralysis. Like, do we have that a positive reinforcement mechanism around us that tells us it is you who can change this world? Closer is a podcast supported by the Ethos Grants Program. Reach out to us on our website www.inchingcloser.org or on Instagram where our handle is inchingcloser.podcast. This episode was written and produced by Anand Mittal and Anirudh Sharan. The episode was mixed by Dhruv Dhingra and Anand Mittal with original music also written by Dhruv Dhingra and Anand Mittal. See you next time. Until then, let's keep inching closer.